0: And as we do so, we're going to walk through this psalm, and we're going to see in these little verses, six little verses, that David deals with these three areas that answer who he is and how he's doing. And that's these, his feelings, his fears, and ultimately his commitment to God. If you want to have a right understanding of how you're doing, parents, if you're wondering, how are my kids doing? Gain a right understanding of their feelings, their fears, and what their present commitment to God is. As we do so, you're probably wondering, why does this really matter? Why should I give the next hour and a half of my time to listen to this guy speak? <laughs> Fear and trembling just came across half your faces. No, it won't be, it won't be that long. Uh, but why should this matter to us? I think very simply, there's, there's two particular prayers that I, that I ask as we think about this. In any area of our life, whether it's our health, or our relationships, or even just simply mundane working on a vehicle, you have to first have an honest assessment for how you're actually doing before you can progress to where you want to go. As a church family, we have to have an honest assessment how we're doing. As individuals, we have to have an honest reflection from God's Word how we're actually doing. And as we look at this text this morning, my prayer has been that God would would do two things for us in particular. Number one, that God would ultimately give us a spirit of encouragement as a church family. That God would build our love one for another. But secondly, that regardless of your your fears and your feelings that you brought into service this morning, that you would be able to fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That you would be stirred by the preaching of the Word. The authority is in the Scriptures. That you would rest in Christ this morning. That the Spirit would minister to us appropriately as we take our eyes off of ourselves and we place them onto the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and begin And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We're going to discover in the first two verses together this first factor that determines this question, if you will. I've kind of put them in three questions that we can ask. The first question is this, how am I feeling? And David gives us these answers in the first two verses. We'll notice two particular feelings, but let me read it for us, verses 1 and 2 together. And David writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David begins by clarifying his emotions. And he clarifies for us two emotions, the first of which is the feeling of feeling forgotten. I feel forgotten. Look back in verse 1 and 2 and you see this come out in the text. David says, how long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Transparency and honesty are pivotal in our walk with Christ. And I think this is particularly interesting because if you're a Christian, if you've turned from your sin and self and placed your faith and trust in Jesus to be the King of your life, your very first confession is that you're a sinner, right? That you're a sinner in need of saving. But how often it is after we come to Christ, we live our lives as though everything is perfect. Do you have that temptation? I have that temptation all the time. And yet transparency is pivotal, and that's exactly what David says here in the very beginning. He articulates this question to God. He says, God, how much longer... Will I feel forgotten like this? Now this isn't new to David and it's not even new and, and, and just only limited to the Psalms. I'm not going to ask you to turn over there, but you can write down the reference in Revelation chapter 6. Again and again and again in the book of Revelation, the saints do something very similar to what David does. They ask the question, God, how long until you'll bring your judgment? How long till you'll avenge us? because they feel forgotten. I'll read one for you in Revelation 6, 9-10. The text reads as this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, John writes, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now listen to this. Listen to what they said. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. Here it is again. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood, on those who dwell on the earth. And likewise, David says back in our psalm, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Forever meaning utterly or completely. He feels forgotten. Now, it's no mystery that we feel forgotten from time to time because we're people. We feel forgotten. I wrote that down so I wouldn't forget to say that even. Okay? We're all that way. We forget things. That's normal. We forget appointments. We forget meetings, children. We forget to do our chores, don't we? Sometimes, from time to time. I've been married for 10 years and I still forget to take the trash out. We forget things. It's what we do. That's no revelation. But what happens when you and I feel forgotten by God? Our Bible tells us that God is all powerful, that He is sovereign, that He is all present. So, what happens when you and I feel like God, the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, has forgotten us? This becomes a problem. Because our feelings tell us we're forgotten, and yet God's Word says it's impossible to be forgotten by God. So what do we do? A consistent theme through all of Scripture is again and again and again, God allows our painful circumstances and moments to begin to cave in on our lives, to weigh down our hearts, to where we realize that we are more weak than we ever ever knew. Whether it's a marriage, a personality flaw, hopes for the future that begin to no longer become a reality for you, to where we're forced to draw ourselves in prayer to Christ, in which then we remember when we turn to Christ, when we cry out to God, that He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Now you and I know biblically that we are never alone. We know that the Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son. The Spirit indwells us as believers, right? We know the Son promised to be with us always to till the, till the end of the age. And we know that the church surrounds us and points us to truth. And yet that doesn't stop us from seasons of life when we feel tremendously forgotten. But make no mistake... When we stand upon the truth of God's word, as our feelings collapse in on us like a wave upon a coast, the truth of God's word will endure. The truth of God's word will endure. The truth of God's word, it will endure. You guys sound great. We should start a choir. It's incredible. This is great. No, we shouldn't. You don't want to hear me. Any part of that, okay? Just don't ask me to sing. So David identifies this feeling from the very beginning that he feels forgotten, but also, secondly, he feels overwhelmed. That's that's incredibly powerful in these first two verses. Look at the end of verse 2. He states, How long, God, shall my enemies be exalted over me? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? The point is that David is overwhelmed. His enemy has the upper hand in his life. David, throughout his life, we don't know the exact context by which he writes this. So we don't know everything that's happening in his life in which he he feels so overwhelmed. But if we know David's life, we know there's several times when he has family members and, and loved ones who are trying to murder him. A confession, I've never had that happen, but I'm pretty sure that would be an overwhelming experience. And David is overwhelmed. He doesn't see an end in sight. His heart is becoming burnt out. And he asks this question, God, how long will my enemy stand over me? And once again, emotions like these for the people of God are not unusual. And I praise God that God has not ever counted me or my wife Sarah to be in a situation in which we have endured long-term suffering or sickness. But so many of you in this room I know have. And if you have or you know one that is, take refuge in Christ because as Colossians 3.3 3 says, here you are and you have been hidden in Christ and Christ has been hidden in God. And so you can be like David and you can cry out to God because you have privilege in Him. You have comfort in Christ. So we can do this because as the text goes on, we'll see that we can communicate our emotions directly to God. So we want to identify our emotions David identified, as we looked at, two emotions, feeling forgotten and feeling overwhelmed. But he doesn't just identify his emotions. You know what he does with them? He communicates them to God. He communicates them to God. A good friend will ask another good friend, how are you feeling today? But a great friend says, well, I'm sorry to hear that, let me pray for you. You as a fellow Christian have the ministry of interceding for your, your loved ones and even our enemies as we intercede for them and we go to God with their burdens as we hear them. So we want to connect. By the way, that's not the mic system. My voice just naturally makes those loud, disturbing noises. You'll, you'll, it makes getting coffee a little distracting for you. No, just joke. God's doing an incredible job. I really do. But we want to communicate our emotions directly to God. And David speaks as someone who knows God, and that's what's so incredible about this. We we live in a culture filled with burdens, don't we? Everybody has a burden. And social media makes it much easier to articulate those burdens, doesn't it? And so what's interesting about this isn't that David has a burden. What's fascinating is that he knows who to take his burden to. He writes his burden and he knows who to address the envelope to as he sends it off to God. David is a sinful man and a broken man like all of us. Yes, a man after God's own heart. He's a repentant man. But what's amazing about this right now, we need to catch this, is that a sinful man speaks to a holy, all-powerful, sustaining God like he knows Him. So many in our culture, and as John said, so many in our culture may deny God, but they cannot truly deny the guilt shame, and sin that plagues their life? matter of fact, I think that's one of the most helpful questions you can ever ask somebody that's not yet a Christian. Apart from Christ, what do you do with your guilt, shame, and sin? Because everyone experiences it. Everyone does, and they know it. Now they may deny it. They may try to numb it. Or they may try to stay so busy they don't think about it. But every single person deals with guilt and shame. What do people in our culture do then? Apart from Christ? They cry out to karma. They cry out to some impersonal force to make things right. Or they simply cry out and just throw out their requests. Or they take vengeance in their own hands. But the text we see today, if you are here this morning and you're burdened with guilt and shame, there is One who came to to bear your sin upon His body on the cross. He is Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He is the God-man. He lived a righteous life you and I have not lived nor desired to live. He did all things for the glory of God and He would lay His life down on the cross as this make-right sacrifice to pay your full guilt and shame. He knows you and I more intimately than we know ourselves. And He's not disturbed by that, but He would die for that. I have an unbelievable love for you. He defeated death and He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven as He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, pleading for you. Your guilt and shame will only be resolved by one. His name is Jesus Christ, the one that turns the ones with burdens into truly blessed. To understand how I'm doing, I have to ask myself, how am I feeling? But I, ask, I have to ask myself a second question as the text continues on. I have to ask, what are my fears? What are my feelings, but also what are my fears? There's two types of particular fears that David identifies for us here in Psalm 13. The first of which is verse 3 we see that he identifies physical fears. Physical fears. text reads as this, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David doesn't just ask a random question or a random request. He makes a particular request. David asks that God would light up his eyes while he's in the trial. Do you realize that as a Christian, you and I have a privilege to be able to say, no matter our circumstances, we can ask God personally and directly, God, will you please deliver me from this? And David, who is in the situation, very probable, of physical danger, he cries out to God to please deliver him. You have that privilege in Christ. Now we can be honest this morning, we don't have to pretend like everything in our lives is, is just going well. Every one of us has a certain measure of physical fears and anxieties that plague our hearts and our minds, and that's okay. The late R.C. Sproul, who died just recently, he said, I do not fear death, but I'm not excited about the process either. I think we can each relate to that, can't we? We don't have to pretend like the aches and pains of life don't disturb us. But we need to be honest and deal with this reality that, that death has a way of shaking us to our core. Much like John the Baptist, who is in, in, in prison, realizing his death is going to happen, he sends servants to Jesus to do what? To reaffirm hey, 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 Jesus, you are the Messiah again, right? Just want to make sure. Physical death has a way of shaking us to our very core. So if you are young and healthy, application here now. When we're young, what do we tend to desire, college students and others? Your desire, you're here to get a job. Really, you chose this school to go to Grace Bible Church, right? Isn't that really? And then just so happened to have a university, so you're like, all right, I'll stay around and do classes. I know how you are. No, in reality, you're here because one day you're thinking, I'm finally going to make enough money to do fill-in-the-blank, in part. But those of us that are older that have aches and pains, what do you desire? Boy, I sure wish I had my health. So the application for us is this. Young people realize that that God has given us health so that we may maximize it for the kingdom of God. To live missionally and intentionally with our health while while God has given it to us. To not take it for granted, but to thank God as we hear of the aches and pains of those that are older. But secondly, for those that are older that have aches and pains... Number one, look forward to the glory of God, the new heavens and new earth, where you will one day not have any of those aches and pains anymore. As you receive a new, glorified, resurrected body, how great is that going to be? But secondly, realize this. As you think about it, the the longer you live, the more people you list that have already died. But God does not make accidents. He has given and sustained your days longer than theirs for a reason. It's so that you and I may do the good works he's prepared in advance before the foundations of the world to walk in. So, so do not mail it in later in life, but finish strong. Finish with purpose. Develop a love and invest in the younger generations behind you. Love them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Like one example of this is I had the privilege of meeting Dottie Tucker recently. She's a pistol. I've met Dottie Tucker. If you don't know this, there's a a group of women that have gathered here and prayed literally for decades and decades and decades that God would raise up missionaries from this church. Children, fellow young people, I think it's very possible that you may be fulfillment to that missional living that's been prayed for. Maximize your health because when death comes, it will shake you to the core. There's physical fears that plague our life, but there's also non-physical fears. Verse 4 reads as this, Let my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Uh, We won't go read it, but I would like for you to write down there Numbers 14 as a reference. Numbers 14. Because David does what Moses does in Numbers 14, but on a smaller scale to some extent. And in Numbers 14, the people of Israel are rebelling against God. They're complaining, and they're arguing, and they're doing all this, and God's in one of these moments where he says, all right, I'm going to destroy you. And Moses pleads for them, and he he argues like this, God, if you destroy your people, Egypt and all the pagan lands around will look, and they'll think that they defeated Israel, and then they'll think by proxy that they defeated you. So it's a non-physical fear. It's a fear of God's reputation being harmed. And David here prays this same type of prayer. He says, God, don't let my enemies, my pagan enemies, stand over me and me be slain. But deliver me because if you don't, they may think that they defeated you. Because I'm with you. You're my God. There's two types of prayers in life. There's There's non-physical righteous fears, I should say. Every one of us has non-physical fears. There's first category, non-physical righteous fears, which is very simply the fear of God above all things. The Scriptures tell us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there's non-physical righteous fears, and on the other side, there's non-physical selfish fears. This has been called the fear of nouns. I'm not talking about grammar class. For some of you that may have just brought back cold sweats. No, we're talking about the fear of nouns, the fear that every one of us wrestles with of people, places, and things. I think every one of us has an image of what our ideal life looks like this week. And God has a way of coming along and taking our selfish fears and painfully to us Plucking them out. And even though they hurt, they call us to realize at the end of the week God, you're still my God. You're still good. I'm not ashamed to be yours. I encourage you this week to pray about and pray specifically to God. God, will you show me my specific selfish fears? And if you don't hear anything back, if the Spirit doesn't convict you in any way, just ask your spouse. Or your family. They will be glad. Or your roommate. They will be so glad to show you your selfish fears. So we want to ask ourselves these three questions. Question one, to understand how we're truly doing this morning. How do I feel? Question number two, what are my fears? And now this third question, what is my commitment level? What is my commitment to God? How is my relationship with God? Verse 5 and 6. David says, So we have this large transition. The first four verses are kind of a downer. So if your kids started crying and those people got called out and couldn't be here for the last part, they're going to think this is like the most downer sermon ever. But verse 5 and 6, the tone changes. Look at this. This is good. Verse 5 and 6 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And notice that David's confidence His encouragement doesn't come because he's trying harder. His confidence comes because he's trusting in the covenant faithful kindness of God. This word hesed. This covenant faithfulness of God. His confidence comes because in a world of promise makers, there is one who is the promise keeper in order to keep your promise in life, you have to be able, you have to be powerful enough to do so. We can all make promises one to another. But it takes a sovereign one to truly always deliver. And that is David's confidence that he's making a commitment to the God who knit him together in his mother's womb. That's the God we're talking about. So we ask ourselves in this way two questions to clarify what is your relationship with God this morning. Number one, what is my commitment level? What is my commitment level? Verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. After all the feelings, all the feels, after all the fears, David says, in spite of all that, God, put a tack in it. I'm yours. So even if I don't get delivered, I'm yours. You're faithful. You're good. I'm with you. His commitment level is present. When we hear the word heart in the Old Testament, again, he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. When we hear heart today, what do you think of? Your emotions, right? My heart was fluttering. In the Old Testament, a lot of time, it uses that language, heart, and it's actually dealing with your mind, your resolve, your inner self, your commitment, your resolve that you're making. And that's what David says here. My resolve, my commitment is before God. A lot of times when it, when it speaks of emotions, it, it speaks of it as guts, my guts. Kind of like if a little kid gets a crush for the first time, my, my stomach hurts. They may not sound just like that. I'm not good at impressions. But David says here, my resolve is to be standing with God, to trust in the covenant faithful God. And David says, I have trusted in the Lord's enduring promise and love today despite my circumstances. Question for you. What are the areas of life that you look at and say, God, I think I'd still place my identity and faith in you, but please don't take away fill in the blank. What's your fill in the blank this morning? What's your fill in the blank? What's the area in your life that you think, God, I love you and I'm with you, but please do not take away this. David says, that fill in the blank, no matter what, I'm still with you. We speak about our present commitment level, but also in verse 6, he finishes and he says, "What what will my future commitment level be? What will my commitment level be? And verse 6 reads as this, I will sing to the Lord David says, because he, he has dealt bountifully with me. We have this question that we have to deal with. Will you sing to God? What will your future look like? Not just your today. Y'all made your, your decision today to be here at church which is amazing. That's tremendous. I'm glad you did too because if there's no one here that'd be really weird for me. Alright, Right. All right. But you made a decision today, but what about tomorrow? And that's what David does here. It's not just my today, but he's saying, I will sing. Regardless of my fears and my feelings, I will sing to you, Lord, tomorrow. And the day after that. And the day after that. My favorite music, truth be told, is that which we sing on Sunday. Jesse and the, and the worship team did a tremendous job for us today. But to have Christ-focused music. To fix our eyes upon the glory of God together, no matter our burdens that we brought in here this morning, is a beautiful experience. And to know then next week, the way God has ordered us, next week if our health is able, we will gather with God's people and we will again join together a corporate offering of praise to God. You cannot do that in your car listening to K-Love. In the same way that you do it gathered together as a body to offer a corporate worship of song to the Lord. And to know that one day in the new heavens and new earth we will gather together with all the saints of old and all the saints yet future and we will sing and we will live a living sacrifice to our king free from the bondage of sin, death, and temptation with our risen king. We will walk by sight not by faith. And every time we gather to sing remember that. It's a promise of things to come as much as a corporate offering together. One well, conclusion, I, I phrase this as from me to we. From me to we. You may have noticed in my language here for our outline, I, I phrase this more first person. How will I understand my feelings? My feelings, my feelings, my fears. But we have to shift the language from, from me to we. Because Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a team sport a part of the family of God. He adopts us and He rescues us and He places us in a body together as an assembly, as in a gathering of the Holy Ones who proclaim His goodness until He shall come again. And We are a living testament to this community of what God has done for us, that we would all change our schedules to gather together, that we would gather through the weeks to lift up His name on high, A people from different backgrounds and different generations, unashamed to be united and call one another my brother and sister, as we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Perhaps you're like me and this is your first Sunday at Grace Bible Church. I figured I could only probably say that once, so I better take advantage. But I think you chose a perfect Sunday to be here today. It's got nothing to do with me at all. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Roman is going to begin a series next week through the book of Ruth. It's a four-part series. And in that series, he's going to begin to walk you through how to rightly understand and to interpret this little book that the Holy Spirit has given to us that is filled with redemption. It's filled with God taking broken things and making them new. That's our story as Christians. And that's our calling. As a people brought out from different feelings and different fears who are making a mutual commitment from this day forward to be unashamed to proclaim the glories of Christ in our lives, in our homes, and abroad. From me to we. Would you pray with me as we go to the God not only knows where we're at today but he knows where he desires to take us Father God you are good you are good Lord we know the taste of sin guilt and shame and yet your word tells us that we can confidently come before you Because in Christ we have become your righteousness. that upon his body on the cross, he bore our sins. Lord, we would need such saving that you would send your love for us. Lord, we lift up to you everyone in this room and everyone in the other buildings. And God, every believer in this community. We pray, God, that your spirit would do a work upon our lives as only he can do that you would search in the secret places of our lives and convict us of sin. But Father, also that you would deal with the heavy burdened saints gathered this morning, that you would minister to them with a, a love of encouragement as we base our identity upon Jesus Christ, our King. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your, the fact that you preserve us, that you don't call us to go out and do this thing alone, but you give us a church family who desires to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So God, would you help us to be a people who build our identity upon your word, who worship you joyfully, who serve one another in love and good deeds, and who desire to see the family of God grow. Lord, only you can do this. and So it's in you we rest, and it's in you we sing to in the name of Jesus Christ. All God's people set together.